Rabbi Ellie Davis, a young man originally from Seattle, Washington, today is a full-time member of a koilel in Lakewood, New Jersey. A koilel is a rabbinic seminary designed for married rabbinic students and rabbis who wish to spend full-time dedicated to studying Judaism in depth. Ellie is a bright, personable, educated young man who obviously is a fully observant ultra-Orthodox Jew, but he wasn't always. In fact, he was brought up in a totally secular family. His father, a college professor, totally non-observant. Nonetheless, his family always had a positive attitude towards their Jewish heritage, and as a young man, Ellie had an interest in finding out more about his Jewish heritage. But there was something holding him back. There was something turning him off, turning him away from Judaism, something about it that he really considered distasteful. What you see, at least on the outside, is certainly that the more Jewish identified, just in terms of identity, as well as religion, is part and parcel with supporting Israel, supporting Zionism. Or so he thought. Many people believe that Zionism is part of Judaism, and it does turn people away from Judaism makes Judaism distasteful to so many people nowadays. To tell someone that you have a country that's just for your people and your ethnic group, it's weird. It's uncomfortable. It sounds racist and, and is not something that regular American secular Jew would take pride in. And especially, like you mentioned, a country that's involved in all sorts of political conflicts, that's controversial, that's run currently by a very right-wing government. So for regular liberal American Jews, that's nothing to, to be proud of. It's only going to be a source of embarrassment. Until one day, Ellie happened to have found out that it's not true. One time I was talking with a friend, not Jewish, uh, something about uh, religion. And I said, you, you know, really, I would be interested in, in religion more and Judaism and, and I want to find out more about it. But I keep running into this problem that everywhere I find about Judaism, there's always a lot of Zionism mixed in with it. And he said that, no, you know, in New York, there's Orthodox Jews. They make protests in front of the consulate. I never heard about such a thing. And I don't know if he knew so much about exactly what the content of these protests were, what exactly it was, but it was just a new perspective I had never heard before. It was just eye-opening to me that the, you could be a religious Jew, Orthodox Jew, and, and not be a Zionist. Ellie's discovery that there are ultra-Orthodox Jews, observant Jews, who publicly protest against Israel's anti-Jewish behavior, got him to realize that the distaste he had for Judaism was a misconception, which led him on his journey to find out more about his heritage, a journey that landed him in a full-time rabbinic seminary. And Eli is here today to tell us about his story. Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, Religion versus no religion, Zionism versus Judaism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. Good morning, Ellie. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I want to ask you something, something that you'll be able to help us with. I have a question about Israel for you, okay? Many years ago, 
Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, certainly one of the most prominent, arguably the most prominent religious Zionist rabbi in the 20th century, said that the state of Israel provides a unique benefit for the Jewish people, particularly the non-religious Jewish people, because without Israel, there'd be no reason after the Holocaust for the Jews to have any pride in being Jewish. The Holocaust was such a humiliating, degrading event that without the state of Israel, there would be not even a bit of pride or esteem for the Jewish people. And and because of the pride and esteem that Israel provides, they're more likely to marry Jews and want to be Jews and carry on Jewish continuity. At the same time, about 20 years ago in the year 2002, Goodness Yisrael of America, which is not a Zionist organization, put out an article in their magazine called The Jewish Observer that claims just the opposite. It says, quote, on the elite campuses, Israel is more likely to be a source of embarrassment than a source of pride. It cited a, a pro-Palestinian demonstration of Harvard women half-dressed as pregnant Palestinians and half-dressed as Israeli soldiers busy kicking them, and it said that Jews were heavily represented in that demonstration. So we have on one hand the Zionists claiming that Israel is a source of pride for non-religious Jews on campuses, and we have the others saying, no, that's not true, just the opposite is true. Now, it could very well be in the early 1960s or the 1950s after Leon Uris came out with his book Exodus, maybe. The situation was one way then, and it changed later on, but you have your own personal experience with this, and you actually went through this system that these people are arguing about. So can you tell us your story and, and, and your experience? Who's right over here? Well, I think what you said is right, that that maybe a long time ago, after the Holocaust, I think like my, my grandparents' generation, there was much more of a view of Jews as an oppressed minority and, and things like that. So so perhaps then a, a state or the power and it would be could be inspiring maybe to some, but certainly today in America where Jews live fine and to tell someone that you have a country that's just for your people and your ethnic group, it's weird. It's uncomfortable. It sounds racist and, and is not something that regular American secular Jew would take pride in. And especially, like, like you mentioned, a country that's involved in all sorts of political conflicts, that's controversial, that's run currently by a very right-wing government. So for regular liberal American Jews, that's nothing to to be proud of. It's only going to be a source of embarrassment. So if I might just I want to chime in over here, which you mentioned in terms of the change regarding what Israel used to feel like or represent to the secular Jews versus what it does today. It's not merely just the aftermath of the Holocaust. If we're talking about what happened between then and now, you're talking about, as you mentioned, the right-wing government, which started with Menachem Begin in 1977. Until then, Ben-Gurion and his leftists were running the government. And uh, also, after the 1967 war, you have the issue with the territories and the Palestinians, which didn't exist before. In fact, I, I remember seeing an article where Frank Luntz, who, who wrote one of Israel's handbooks of how to defend Israel on campus. He said when he was a kid, nobody, nobody was against Israel. This whole business of Israel being controversial or people being against Israel, which is what we're talking about in terms of the embarrassments to the 
secular Jews, whether rightfully or wrongfully, that's how they feel about it, happened after 67, after the, the business with the territories. So, and, and how was uh, your experience? So, uh, yeah, I can speak a little about my life. That I grew up in a reformed Jewish home. Where? Where, whereabouts? Seattle, Washington. And definitely Judaism was not the center of our lives. It was not the main thing that we did, but it was something well, the, that was... The needle the, was the center of your lives then, right? right? exactly. The right. Seattle yeah, needle. Going up and down the, the, all day. That yeah. was the center of your lives, not Judaism. And your father is a academic, correct? Yeah, yeah. He's a professor, trained as a linguist originally, and my mother worked in, in nonprofits, nonprofits, a director, and a regular American, you know, liberal Jewish family, and... Jewish things were always viewed in a positive way. It was never something that was looked down upon and, and any anyone knew something else about Judaism. It was it was, you know, discuss it and and talk about it. It was it was always something in a positive light. It just wasn't what we were really focused on and wasn't something that anyone in my family was particularly educated in. And and we just kind of did what came to us, we went to services and and I went to Hebrew school, had a regular reform bar mitzvah. And and I give some credit to my parents that they raised me with a you know sense of always have to do the right thing and what's right and what's wrong. And so as a young person, I was looking for some kind of moral framework, mm-hmm. and which I think a lot of people look for in, in religion. You know what's right, what's wrong? How am I supposed to figure that out? I'm just supposed to guess. And and I was looking to to Judaism to find that, and it kind of quickly exhausted the resources in the reform setting where. You know, if, if if there'd be a text that was assessed, you can just disagree with it. No, I don't like that. I, I don't. I don't think like that. There was not much respect for the you know the body of Jewish thinking and and the tradition as necessarily right. It's if it if I agree with it, then it's right. If I don't agree with it, then it's not right. And, so why would um, you need the tradition altogether? Like if what you agree with is right, what you don't agree with is not right. So then. What role does this uh, tradition, quote right. unquote, play in your your moral framework? Right. So I think for all, the different people, it was you'd find a lot of different answers. That but people want some connection to something spiritual, something traditional. For some people, they just wanted to hold on to some kind of Jewish identity, okay, and not they didn't want it to take over their lives. They didn't want necessarily to commit themselves to changing their lifestyle, but wanted to have some connection to something Jewish. They had some good feelings towards it, whether it was spiritual or just traditional, whatever that means exactly, and, and wanted to have a connection to it. And this was a kind of easy way to to connect and not a lot was demanded of you. Um, and could you could interpret it as you pleased. It was pretty convenient and also just a social setting, social club for similar types of people with similar backgrounds. Okay, and, and what role did the state of Israel play in your Jewishness at that point in time? So then, very little. It was just kind of a political thing like any other part of politics. It wasn't in, in the reform things. I think maybe the East Coast is different, but at least in, in the West Coast, you're not necessarily assumed to support Israel or support their policies. And it's, it's you know, liberal Democrats certainly can criticize. I think the Reformed Temple or, or a certain group of them were members of J Street, which is, you know, a Zionist advocacy group, but generally is against uh, settlement expansion, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was no, there wasn't necessarily assumed to be anything. And as I got older and I was looking for more exposure and more education, it was kind of known the more religious you go, the more 
pro-Israel, the more Zionist you're expected to be, at least how the conversations go. And I'm talking about conservative and modern Orthodox, that what was more accessible in in the, in the West Coast, at least, to, to the uneducated, to someone that's not really in the Orthodox world. But what you see, at least on the outside, is certainly that the more Jewish identified, just in terms of identity, as well as religion, is part and parcel with supporting Israel, supporting Zionism. And that basically created a problem for me because in, in two parts, one, I wasn't interested in that. Um, and it was just a turnoff in terms of finding like-minded people that didn't want to to be a part of this whole political thing going on in Israel. And also being a little bit educated in history, Western philosophy and things like that, it was very hard for me to believe that Zionism, which is basically just Jewish nationalism, was a movement that was all nationalism was all over Europe, was all over the world, mm-hmm. different nationalist movements. Zionism is just another version of that, was just another copy of that. For me to believe that this was traditionally really what Jews had always believed was just not very convincing. And if you know a little bit about nationalism, you know that one of the first things that nationalist movements did was try to create, recreate a history that, of course, our people were always this contiguous political unit, and uh-huh. we were always striving to have a state. And so when I would hear that out of the ashes of the Holocaust came the state of Israel, a continuation from King David, it was like baloney. It was not, you know, it was not very believable. And if I'm looking for something authentic, I'm not finding it there. It was, you know, I have to look somewhere else. Uh, that's an important um, point. A lot of people don't realize that. We, we had a podcast on that, a few of them, actually. We had one about uh, what they call civic religion, where all nationalisms do that. The Turkish nationalism, Ukrainian, Russian, the, the Greek nationalism, all the nationalisms. People think, there are a lot of Jews that think that this is a, a uniquely Jewish narrative where there's a continuum between King David and the ancient times with what they have today that's called the state of Israel. But the truth of the matter is, this is just an imitation. Every single nationalism in in the world has done that. Now, America, actually, America is the most vulnerable to think that this is not just what everybody does because America doesn't really have a nationalist narrative from ancient times, right? right. America never claimed to be a continuation of the ancient anybody's. So growing up here in the United States, which is where most of the Jews are outside of Israel, we don't realize over here as we would if we would have been grown up, let's say, in Italy or in Greece or in Turkey or even in France or Germany, that what Israel is doing, claiming that, no, this is after 2,000 years, the Jews were back and they always wanted and strived this is just the exact same thing that every nationality in the world does, right? They just want right. to imitate the, them. And and so you sound like you were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You wanted the, the moral framework of something, and you looked to Judaism for that. But then you said, hey, wait, if I accept Judaism, that means I got to accept this nonsense about nationalism. And you had no interest of being involved in Zionism, which is a political thing. You didn't believe, you were right about that, you didn't believe it was like part of Judaism, you recognized it for what it was, 
And yet there was this this kind of paradox where the more religious you were, the more you accepted Zionism in Israel. And, and how did you think that made any sense? If on the one hand, Zionism was completely detached from Judaism in, in your mind, at the same time you saw r- the religious people, the more religious they were, the more Zionistic they were. So, I mean, how did that fact just make sense to you? Well, it didn't make sense. And and I think I basically understood that something got lost here. There was some disconnect um, between what Jews believed and practiced for thousands of years before these national movements took off to today. There were, something had cut the wire. And I didn't know if it existed anywhere, if there was any kind of authentic, traditional Judaism. And, and again, at that point, I was just kind of exploring, just trying to learning about it. So I was more just curious. I wanted to know what was this really about? And I knew I wasn't finding it. I didn't know what it was. And maybe if I would bump right into it, I wouldn't know what hit me, but but I just knew this wasn't it. And it was frustrating in some way. And I just kind of had to keep looking. It actually had... So one time I was talking with a friend, not Jewish, uh, something about uh, religion and I said, you know, really, I would be interested in, in religion more and Judaism and and I want to find out more about it. But I keep running into this problem that everywhere I find about Judaism, there's always a lot of Zionism mixed in with it. And it's kind of off-putting. It's kind of, you know, it's something that makes me not interested. And it's kind of a roadblock to learning more. Um, and he was from New York. Um, and he said that, no, you know, in New York, there's Orthodox Jews, they make protests in front of the consulate and in Israel, those things uh, that, uh, that aren't good. And the Israeli consulate, um, Israeli consulate. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Israeli consulate. And it was, um, eye opening to me. I never heard about such a thing. And I don't know if he knew so much about exactly what the content of these protests were, what exactly it was. It was just eye opening to me that the, you could be a religious Jew, Orthodox Jew and, and not be a Zionist. I had never seen that before. I'd never heard of that before. And that was a little, you know, light at the end of the tunnel that maybe there is something out there. And how do I find out more about that? I was fortunate to stumble upon actually a video that you made describing the the protest about the draft, the Haredi draft, and describing short. I don't know what Just it was. For, for, the, for the listener, uh, the Haredi draft is the the laws that they're trying to pass in Israel, and there's constant uh, friction about it between the government and the. Orthodox Jews regarding drafting the Orthodox Jews into the army. The Orthodox Jews refused to serve in the Israeli army, not only the women, because they, in Israel is one of the few countries in the world that actually draft women into the army, and they want to draft the Orthodox women as well. But even the men, at least, at least the non-Zionist Orthodox men, refused to serve in the army for various reasons. And in the show notes, I'm going to uh, put references of, uh, as to exactly why and if somebody wants to research that. Okay, so you saw a video that I had made explaining why the Orthodox Jews refused to serve in the Israeli army. And how did you stumble onto that? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh... Something I was looking up. I don't know. I spent you know plenty of time looking for different types of Jewish websites and different mm-hmm. Jewish things. And on the internet is is just as bad as the person you find mostly <laughs> Zionist types of th- you know, right. stuff out there. No, somehow I stumbled upon this, and it was just I saw some evidence that today, live in person, there are actually people that that you know at least to some degree think differently than what I was used to 
experiencing how Orthodox Jews or religious Jews in general um, think. And in that and, video, and that, that was a particularly useful video for your purposes because there were clips in there uh, at that protest there were tens of thousands of Jews right. there. It wasn't like right. 10 people on a street corner that you think it's a fringe. Right. Tens of thousands downtown Manhattan protesting against the Israeli attempt to force religious Jews into their army. So, right. So that was very eye-opening for me, and I didn't really know what to do with it. Meaning, again, like I said, I was just kind of exploring and finding out what's out there. So I didn't call you up right away and say, you know, let's talk. But I just had that I said before, like kind of a light at the end of the tunnel that there is something else out there. Let me try to to figure it out. So the next step, which was a little out of the box, maybe, was uh, I decided that that I'm going to learn Yiddish. I said my father's a, a linguist and I had interest in languages. I learned some other languages before. I thought I'm going to learn Yiddish and, and maybe through that I'll be able to, I don't know, read some books or hear about a little bit what was going on before before the war and before modern times, what was... What was Jewish life like? From from your perspective in Seattle, Washington, Yiddish, I suppose, was like a representation of the pre-Zionist Judaism or right. pre something like that. Okay. Right, something like that. I had no idea that people actually speak it today. <laughs> okay. I had no clue, you know, except for a couple, the, there's a few retired folks in the old folks home in, in Seattle that got together and said the Yiddish words they knew, you know, once a month. That was, I thought that's the extent of Yiddish speakers in America. So I thought either it'll just be an interesting intellectual exercise in learning an old language, or it might actually be useful for me in helping me find some path here just to little, get a little bit of knowledge. I didn't think it would actually expose me to anything new. I thought it was more of an intellectual exercise. But I found a program on the East Coast that's a Yiddish immersion program, summer program, and it's actually run by Orthodox people kosher food, Sabbath observance. The students are a mix from all, you know, all across the board. A lot of college students, intellectual types, some religious, some not. And I went there and it's a good program. I learned um, a lot about the language and got exposed to a lot more Judaism, which was, which was very beneficial to me. And, uh, and I realized going home back to Seattle, where not much Yiddish is spoken, um, I'm going to need something to keep it up. And one thing we... So throughout this program, we listen to all sorts of different different sources, other sources. One, there's a musician uh, by the name of Yontav Erluch, um, who was born in, in Russia, lived through the war, escaped to Uzbekistan, came to Jerusalem, eventually came to America. Saw him dubbed somewhere as the Poet Laureate of Williamsburg. Poet um, Laureate of Williamsburg, okay. Yeah. <laughs> in Yiddish. I mean, he, he sung in Yiddish. In Yiddish. Everything was... Mm -hmm. He sang everything in Yiddish. What's popular today is is more the kids' songs and things like that. But he made a lot of he made over thirty albums, and a lot of it was about his experiences uh, through the war and in pre-war Europe, and, and so, so then a lot about coming with, to America. Songs with a lot of content in it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. He was telling stories, and he was discussing Judaism, discussing you know his experiences through all this, and then a lot of also coming to America and seeing th the effects of materialism on, mm -hmm. on Judaism, how people acted differently in the the new world, and and the effects of kind of modernization on the the Jewish society and that tension in America, and and it was fascinating to listen to, but really I just getting it to kind of keep up my Yiddish and and have some practice while I decided what to what to do next. And he was really my first teacher of basic Judaism, the bit real basic things. And, and I got kind of snapshot a little into Judaism before a lot of these 
movement Zionism and other modern movements took hold. Um, and by the way, Yom Tov also has songs that talk about how bad Zionism is. Right, absolutely, yeah. Especially he yes. talks about his time in, in Jerusalem, the anti-Jewish, anti-religious oppression that was going on, and and just in general about his the, the many fights, even in Europe, of the Orthodox Jews and the Zionists and the, the opposing uh, philosophies. He discusses it openly, you know, all over the place. Um, and so that was refreshing to hear. But it, that's also not all he talked about. He talked just about the basics of Judaism. I got to see a little bit kind of unadulterated before all this other newfangled stuff got mixed in mm-hmm. so to speak what what judaism was all about and it was really eye-opening so you had uh, a video or a couple of videos of an america i don't speak yiddish so well of like a american guy in manhattan protesting against israel's oppression of the orthodox jews and at also, you had, on the other hand, Yom Teferla, who didn't speak English very well, right. but the theme was the same. Judaism right. is Judaism, and a part of what he sung about was that Zionism is not Judaism, right. and you got to hear it from like an American 21st century perspective and from a pre-war European perspective. Right. This is fascinating. So what, what happened next? So you got to Judaism through YouTube and Yiddish. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, so so I came back to Seattle. I got a job actually at a coach restaurant and um, just kind of trying to figure out no, what that, to that'll do. Be a good, that'll be a good title for this uh, podcast. Returning to Judaism through YouTube and Yiddish. Right. YouTube um, and Yiddish, the keys to Judaism or something like that. Um, no, so I came back to Seattle and I got a, got a job at a coach restaurant and, and I was fortunate to, to well, What What kind local, of restaurant? Pizza Place. Pizza Place, okay. Yeah. And... That's really how you get to know about Judaism. That's right. (laughs) I was fortunate to meet some some local rabbis that give a lot of credit to, helped me out, very nice, Mm -hmm. you know, invited me to to come over, taught me really basics, you know, basics of basics, the most, uh, you know, fundamental things, and helped me out a lot. Even in the the community, it was very welcoming and, and all these things, but I still always felt a little bit like not in place, I think, because of this, because a lot of the discussions maybe more from the congregants and the rabbis themselves, but was would often go politics about Israel. And and also just, even when it's not political, like we talked about before, that the kind of national identity in the Zionist terms, that was re- also very prevalent, you know, as is in most kind of modern, more modern types of communities that don't have strong Orthodox, strong, what do you call it, traditional Orthodox populations. That's still kind of the dominant, conversation, the dominant, you know, I don't know call it philosophy. And so I've really didn't find a place that I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. And yet you um, knew, and yet you also knew that somewhere out there right. on the East Coast or wherever, there were Jews who are not like this, you know. Yeah, I, if I would have met you in that pizza store, I would have pointed out to you that Judaism is not a culture. And and the biggest proof is look at you, you're right. in a you you are working. This is a Jewish pizza store, right. and this there, there's no such thing as Jewish food. I mean, uh, there right. are things that Jews eat. So I, I tell people all the time, if a non-Jew asks me, I want to hey, give me some Jewish food. You know what do Jews eat? So I say, well, sushi and pizza mostly. Right. You know, <laughs> this idea of bagels and lox that. Uh, 
except at a bris because it's breakfast. I think that's how bagels and lox, by the way, became Jewish food. Because by a bris, a bris always takes place, uh, usually usually takes place in the morning, and there has to be a festive meal, and we have to eat meat or flesh, actually. Fish is good enough, according to many opinions, not everybody, but many people hold that fish is sufficient. And if you're going to eat breakfast, instead of eating meat, you're going to eat fish and bagels, because you have to have bread. And you have to have meat or fish. So if you have to have bread and you have to have fish and you have to have meal, everybody's running out to work also. So the perfect recipe for a circumcision celebration is bagels and lox. I think, that's, I, I'm guessing that's how bagels and lox became a Jewish food. You know, they have Makes these sense. non-religious Jews. What do they know? They come to circumcision celebrations and they eat bagels and lox. So they right. figure it must be Jewish cultural food. No, 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 no. No, sushi and pizza is much more Jewish food. And ter- right. <laughs> well, Jewish people eat that much more, you know, than, than bagels and lox. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. So, so you, um, you, have, you know these two types of Orthodox Jews, because you wanted Orthodox Judaism, because you weren't happy right. with the Reform and Conservative, and you knew that there were those who were, who, who were, even if, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, but those Jews in the pizza store probably would not even consider themselves Zionists. Right, theoretically, some not, some mix, not. but yeah, definitely, even, definitely, some not. Yeah. Even the ones that were involved with Israeli politics, right, no. uh, would not consider themselves Zionists. That that's an important thing for people to understand. That the, Zionism is a certain ideology, and then there's this thing that if you live in America, especially if you're Jewish, Israel is all over the place. It's what they talk about on the news. And if you're Jewish, you kind of, by osmosis, end up relating to that and talking about that. And it becomes part of your, uh, part of your, like, if not, not your Jewish identity, but it becomes part of your Jewish water cooler talk, or in your case, the pizza store talk. And really it has as much to do, as far as I'm concerned, Israeli politics has as much to do with me as a Jew as Korean politics does. But that's the Zionist propaganda. I always say you walk into a department store in December and you see the Christmas display and the Hanukkah display. Let's say it's a store with a Hanukkah display in New York, maybe. So the Christmas display is always green and red and gold. That's always the colors. And the Hanukkah decorations are always blue and white. Now, what does blue and white have to do with Hanukkah? Absolutely nothing. It's only Israel. This, it's, part, it's propaganda. It's the Israeli flag. Uh, Hanukkah is oil, fire. If I were making decorations, I don't know, orange, yellow, red, you know, gold. Menorah was made out of gold. Something like that, if, if, it, if any color pattern at all. But this idea that it's blue and white is just part of the Zionist propaganda that's been going on for a century to try to get Jews to think of themselves as connected to Israel, even though many of those Jews would say, no, we are not Zionists. There was recently a poll in an Orthodox magazine that uh, polled Jews, and it was sponsored in part by a Zionist organization, this poll. And uh, despite the sponsors and despite how they asked the questions, 80% of the Orthodox Jews said they're not Zionists. But among those 80%, there are those that, by osmosis, kind of end up like having Israel become part of their Jewish life, even if not their religious life. Right. I think it's something that I had to learn, and I think a lot of people, that when we generally talk about the two sides of the issue, it's 
pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian. Mm-hmm. That's how most of America talks about the, this, this issue of Zionism. Now, w- when you're talking about Orthodox Jews, it's an issue of do, do we connect ourselves, relate ourselves in any way to Israel, to the national, to this national movement? Do we have a nationalist identity or do we not? Right, exactly. And, 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 and it's a different, so it, there's a different polemic. And for someone who's uninitiated, you would assume that it all goes together. And you would assume that if these people are are talking about, or at least um, not arguing about, you know, Israeli policies, and they're open to these things, oh, so must be their full-fledged Zionist, and it must be that's a part of their, they're doing it as a part of their Judaism. When it could be that it's just some, you know, random politics that they're talking about. It's actually, they, they, they clearly don't view this as a part of their Judaism, and this is not something they believe in. And it's just uh, politics, whatever they happen to be talking about, or they don't want to argue with someone. And it doesn't, you know, it's not a part of their Judaism, as opposed to others that view it as an integral element of their Jewish identity. Right. Those are um, Zionists. Because of the press and the media and uh, the presence that Israel has in American politics, especially if you're Jewish, but even if you're not, especially if you're Jewish, you end up by default, unless you're conscious of what's happening to you, just talking about Israel, even though you're not doing it as part of your Jewishness and people mistake you for Zionists, which is what the Zionists want. The Zionists want Israel to have a presence in the Jewish consciousness in America and just to associate Jews, Israel, Jews, Israel in people's minds. The more they're associated with each other, the more they can conflate the two. But to me, as as you know, and to you as well, to Jews who are not Zionists, Israel's politics has as much to do with me as Korea's. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I say all the time, is as relevant to me as any of the other human rights issues all over the world. I care uh, as much about the human rights issues there as I do and uh, the human rights issue between India and Kashmir and, and anything else. As an American, yeah, you've got tax money there and stuff like that. But as a Jew, Israel has no more to do with me and their politics have no more to do with me than, than India does, you know? Yeah, and I think there's, there's a reverse conflation that a lot of Orthodox Jews have that if, if someone is against Israel or some Israeli policies or something, that means they, let's say as a secular Jew, they don't want to have anything to do with being Jewish. That That's a rejection of their, that's how they express their rejection of being Jewish is by by opposing Israel. And and it's not true. Meaning, meaning they see that as, as their, as their, yeah, as their rejection that, that plenty of people, so I would be in this category that are interested in Judaism, are happy to be Jewish and want to know what that is and want to want to have their Jewish identity as a part of their life in whatever that they're going to define that as, but just don't agree with Israel. And it doesn't have anything to do with, with their projection or acceptance of being Jewish and interest, interest in it. I think a lot of people see if someone, if there's some secular Jew on a college campus, that's uh, saying, you know, speaking out against uh, Israel. Oh, that means they're a lost cause and don't talk to them. And they're, they're, uh, you know, Anti-Semites. Um, They're anti-Semites. Right. So self-hating Jews or something like that. Anti-Semites, self-hating Jews, whatever. It's it's just kind of a, I don't know if it ever was relevant, but certainly today outdated view of of how regular American secular Jews think. And they, I think most most are not necessarily conflating the the two and they're, they're independent things. So if someone wants to talk about 
Judaism with 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 a secular Jew, they may use that as a metric. How Jewish does this person feel? They they want to see how, what they say about Zionism, and it's a totally flawed metric. It's 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 not connected at all. Right. So I, I actually heard somebody say once that look how far Jews, uh, secular Jews are from Judaism in America. So many of them are even against Israel. Right. That's nonsense. Right. They're, they're, right. I mean, they're, they're not close to religion. They look at their Jewishness as whatever, uh, maybe right. an ethnicity, a culture, or eating bagels and locks or whatever it is. Right. But certainly Israel, their policy on Israel, their position on Israel is not a way to measure the, the way they look at their own Jewish identity. Right. It's not. I would say maybe even it's it, it's even a metric the other way that that plenty of people I knew that were outspoken pro-Palestinian activists on campus these types of people were the ones that were most interested in finding something to do with Judaism in their life again in a in more of a cultural way like you're saying not not generally so connected with religion but they were the most interested and I think that's why why did they pick this issue out of all the issues in the world because they felt that they came onto the college campus and they felt confronted with this, that if you want to be Jewish in any way, you have to explain your position on Israel. And well, we would say, no, I don't, I don't have to explain because I don't have anything to do with that. That's not me. Now they didn't have that upbringing, whatever. They didn't have that right. education and they think they do. And they say, right, me as a Jew, I am pro-Palestinian. I'm against Israel. That's my Jewish position on things. So it's coming as opposed to just saying, Okay, so I'm not Jewish. You know, forget about me being Jewish. I can't change my last name, but just ignore it. They want to be Jewish in some way, and they find an expression of that in their anti-Israel advocacy. That's their Jewish expression, just because they feel that it goes together. They have this. They bought into this myth that that right, and, and whether they realize it or not, they are accepting Zionism by doing right. that. And the reason is like this. When I was a kid, so there was big controversy around the Vietnam War. And there are people who, as Americans, they felt as an American, they have to protest against the Vietnam War. Mexicans weren't protesting against the Vietnam War, but because I'm an American, I feel a responsibility to protest what my country is doing. In the same way, there are many Jews who are not Israelis. If you're Israelis, another story because it's your country. But there are many Jews who feel that because they're Jewish, they need to take a side in Israel's politics against what Israel's doing in the same way that the, um, there are many Americans, because they were Americans, who criticize what America does. But the truth is, that's Zionism. Any connection between uh, uh, that political construct, that country that was created in 1948 in the Middle East called Israel, and Jews who don't live in Israel, that's Zionism, either pro or against. And it's, I, I think that actually a lot of these political problems, honestly, would be solved if people would understand that this is a, a conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. It's not the Jews and, and other people. And, and that before you, you negotiate peace, you got to know who the people arguing are, you know? So anyway, you... And I you, think... Mm -hmm. and I think that that for putting yourself in the shoes of a, a secular Jew on a college campus, that's a lot harder to do if you don't have kind of positive content to be your Jewish identity. Meaning, if you just grew up with bagels and locks Judaism, so then what does it mean to be Jewish? You don't have a, an alternative, really. You know, 
you're someone that obviously grew up Orthodox and, and, and has that, you can say, no, that's not what makes me Jewish. This is what makes me Jewish. If someone doesn't have answer to what does it mean to be Jewish with much substantial content to it, so it's pretty hard to reject the other definition. <laughs> Even if you don't like it, it's you have to have an alternative. And and a lot of people are just kind of confused and, and uneducated. They don't know so much about it or or they have some kind of vague cultural, you know, meaning to it. What is that? What's that relevant to you? The first thing that they're presented with is Israel. That, that you know, was Israel, the, Palestine. That, that was the main reason Zionism was so successful because after the emancipation and the enlightenment and there were Jews who didn't want to be religious anymore, but they were forced to confront the fact that they're Jews because of anti-Semitism, like the pogroms in Russia, late 1800s. They, they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't really want to be religious, but what does it mean to be Jewish? And if I'm not Jewish, why am I being persecuted as a Jew? So there was this identity crisis that was solved by substitute Jewish identities. And Israel came up with the most tangible a uh, substantial Jewish identity. We have an actual country. Here it is. You're an actual nationality like everybody else. So it's very easy for for people to accept Israel as Jewish because if you don't accept Israel as Jewish, then what does Jewish mean? They don't want to be religious and they don't want to accept that. And then they're going to say, well, Hitler kills non-religious people too. As if Hitler's the rabbi and he gets to decide who a Jew is. It's very confusing for people. And Israel comes and says, all right, don't be confused. We're the Jewish state. You're you're one of us. That's it. So I want to get back to your journey to where you are now. So you were in this pizza store and you had these rabbis, but still you had this sense that Israel has nothing to do with being Jewish. It's a nationalist thing. It's something taken out of 19th century nationalist philosophy. And so where'd you go from there? So, yeah, basically spent a little time hanging out there and, and getting some basic education. And eventually, you know, the rabbis encouraged me to, to go to a yeshiva. So I believe the translation is a rabbinic seminary. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes, Jewish <laughs> Jewish religious parochial school. Jewish parochial, parochial school, school, there you school. go. Yeah. And on the East Coast, and the rest is history. I went for a couple months to check it out to see, uh, you know, how it was. And, and I ended up staying for years. And that was six years ago, seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still... Here on a different, different and now, school, but <laughs> yeah, I want the listener to know that Ellie is now a fellow in a totally advanced, more than mainstream, like the most mainstream ultra orthodox community in the country. Absolutely fully integrated, part of regular, normal, anti Zionist, non Zionist Orthodox Judaism. So what, what do you think we should do more? We, the Orthodox community, should do more to educate and inspire more Jews towards Judaism. I think this, this information has to be accessible to someone on the outside, meaning someone you know, here in the, in the mainstream Orthodox communities can sees it and knows about it and is familiar with this, that Judaism is not Zionism. But from someone looking from outside, it's very not obvious. It's very not apparent. And part of that is because we said before that what someone sees, first of all, from the outside, they see a lot of Zionist things, Israeli flags. So you want to see something opposing that, you look for, I don't know, Palestinian flags. But that's not where the 
opposition is. That's not where the difference is. So what are you supposed to see? You're supposed just to see that people don't care about Israel. How do you see that? How do you see a negative? Yeah. How do you see that? So, so if there's some type of information, I think it has to be conveyed that the, the, theology behind it, what is, what is Zionism, why don't we believe in it, what do we believe in, as opposed to Zionism, that has to be presented to people in a way that they, they can access it, and not just by, yeah, by negation, just by not talking about something. Also, a lot of the what is accessible to people is the kind of outreach, uh, let's say, on campuses or other other places. A lot of times, unfortunately, these are not necessarily people that are educated in these types of philosophies and this 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 aspect of Jewish theology, the history and and what the right answers to these questions are. And I think it's much easier to accommodate the vocal Zionist, let's say campus groups or or things like that. That fits easier because it's Jewish. It's just a different thing about Jewishness and and we can we'll be religious and you can be your politics thing, whatever. It it, it can work side by side. So that's a big turnoff to a lot of people. They see that there's, oh, these go together. So then it's not for me. You know, you're the rabbi. You tell me what Judaism is. I see what you think Judaism is. I don't want it. You know, I was fortunate that I was stubborn kind of, that I bit my tongue and stuck through it and and was looking for something else. But I think a lot of people just, okay, if that's, you know, if that's what it is, goodbye. So to somehow be able to present to people that to distance ourselves from these Zionists, you know, types of organizations who sign these types of things and and explain what what real Judaism is about. And I think part of that is also being familiar with the history and people knowing what, you know, the the, the fights that the Orthodox Jews went up with, with even starting in Europe with the Zionists that are opposing Zionism and and up through the creation of the state up until today. Just presenting that to people to see that there's an alternative and that would be, I think, a very new perspective for a lot of people and would open a door. Then a person has to decide, do they want to be religious, do they not want to be religious? But but people don't even get to that decision because it's a total non-starter. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not Zionist. I'm a regular American, you know, Jew. I don't want to have to do with that. Goodbye. I'll find it somewhere else, either in in being the like Jewish Voices for Peace type of Jewish identity or just nothing, just something else. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't have to have a robust Jewish identity. It's not for me. So to somehow express that to them, I think would open a lot of doors. Then it's, it's regular outreach type of work, but until that it's, it's not even starting. So you feel that today Zionism is a, is an obstacle like it was to you. It's an obstacle to many people for them to accept Judaism. Right. I don't know the statistics. And maybe you have some people, meaning obviously uh, worldwide national nationalist movements are successful. Why? Because it tells people the whole, you know, Bubba Mice is a made up story that that you're a part of a political whatever. So I'm sure there are some people that are attracted to this message. But and I right. think that many more contemporary yeah. American Jews, secular Jews are turned off by. It. Yeah. And, and people mistakenly think that Israel is, is at least kind of like a gateway ideology into Judaism. Right. But it's not. It, it points in the other direction, not towards. Right. It's a substitute, right. not a gateway to. It's a substitute right. for Judaism. It fills that part of your Jewish identity that Judaism would fill. Instead, right. they have they have Zionism. That's precisely what it was designed to do. And, and I think that's something that the rabbis that are talking to 
to curious secular Jews has to be, have to be educated. And I think that's something that a lot of them don't can't articulate, even if they, like you said, are not Zionists and would not call themselves Zionists, but they can't articulate that that distinction. So when these things come up, there needs to be an education yes. on how to right for the educators. We need to educate the educators, and but first we need to educate those people who are educating the educators. Right. <laughs> so it boils down to inf information, and now here we have Ellie, who's who's a full time fellow in a, a rabbinic seminary. This is great. I mean, where you? How long did this whole journey take? How old were you when you? saw when you heard from that non-Jewish person that there are Orthodox Jews on the East Coast that protest against Israel's policies? Must have been 17 or 18, uh, 10, 11 years ago. 10, 11 years ago. And how long did this whole thing take? How long after that did you enter the yeshiva? I think I was 22, 21, 22. About five years, in other words. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, look, I had a lot of uh, you know divine assistance to, to get where I was. I met a lot of the right people, and and I think I'm, I have a pretty unique story. But that just points to a to a larger problem that that most people don't really have access to this information. It's very hard to find, and more than just the, knowing the information, it's just opening a door. Meaning, it's something that without that is really not is really off the table for people. And and I was fortunate to to find you know stumble upon the right things and and meet the right people and watch the right YouTube videos to be where I am today. But it's it's a unique story. And and I have met other people that grew up secular and became religious and had similar feelings to me. I definitely, you know, that right. it's not uncommon. And everyone has their own kind of path to it. Mm -hmm. But it's not, there's not much of a of a system to go through, not not an obvious path. Someone that is not interested in, in jumping onto Zionism, how they grow in their Judaism and how they learn about Judaism more, it's not laid out in front of us. So. I was fortunate. Well, you, you were fortunate to meet the right people. Now you are one of the right people for others to meet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's great. Ellie, it was great having you. Thank you so Thank much you for, for being me. here. Your story is great. My pleasure. You know, I think Ellie's story is much more typical than people realize. Zionists want people to think that uh, the state of Israel is some type of attraction towards Judaism or Jewish identity. And as, as we said, maybe, maybe, I don't think so, but maybe it was like that in the 50s and maybe the 60s. But nowadays, it, clearly the opposite is true. People literally become anti-Semites because they think uh, Israel has to do with Judaism or represents the Jews. And Jews, who otherwise would be interested in their heritage, stay away from it. I, I had on the show my friend Lee Stranahan, who was a Breitbart reporter, a right-wing investigative reporter, who, who the only Orthodox Jews he knew were Ben Shapiro and Joel Pollack. He had problems. He knew he wasn't an anti-Semite, but he had problems with what he saw Israel was doing. And, and he knew that he wasn't an anti-Semite, but he didn't understand why is the Jewish state acting like this until he saw Israel is not the Jewish state, and, and now he's not confused anymore. It, it is so important to get this message out that Israel has nothing to do with the Jews. It has to do with the Zionists, and any Jew who chooses to be a Zionist. It's important for the Jews, it is important for the non-Jews, it's even important for Israel. If anybody has any ideas about how to spread this message, or somebody would like to help spreading it, please contact me through my website 
www.committinghighreason.com. You'd be doing a very big mitzvah.